This is Life with Jerry Williams, a weekly podcast, and I'm Jerry Williams. Thank you so much for listening today. Today, we have one topic, and I am sure that you have heard at least a little bit about this in the news, the murder hornets. Technically, they are Asian giant hornets, the biggest hornets in the world, and they have been spotted in North America. Now, so far, they are limited to the Pacific Northwest. I think they have spotted two of them in Washington State and one in British Columbia. Well, I've done a little bit of research on this because these things are just murder, hence the name, on honeybees especially. They have been known to actually kill people because they attack in swarms, and they have so much venom in them because they are so big, it can be as effective As a snake bite, in Japan, 40 to 60 people a year die from stings from these Asian giant hornets. So I tracked down an entomologist at the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia. Her name is Dr. Nancy Hinkle, and she is going to join us and talk a little bit about these hornets. Now, when I first emailed the department, was back and forth a couple of times with the head of the department, and she put me in touch with Dr. Hinkle. Dr. Hinkle emailed me back, very happy to talk to you about this. Ground rules, we will not refer to them as murder hornets. <laughs> I asked her about that very early on in the conversation. So sit back, relax, get ready to be wowed, because these are some very, in one way, spectacular insects and in another way very scary insects as we talk with dr nancy hinkle about the asian giant hornets on this episode of life with jerry williams Mr. Williams. Dr. Hinkle, how are you? I am good. How are you? I am very good. I so so appreciate you joining me on such short notice to talk about this. Thank you so much. Delighted. We love to talk about insects. <laughs> well, that's great. First, give me a little background on you, if you will. I am a veterinary entomologist, so I work to keep animals healthy by controlling the insect pests that bother them. I work on all the blood-sucking critters, the fleas, ticks, <laughs> lice, mites, mosquitoes, blood-sucking flies, etc. And there are an awful lot of them, aren't there? Yes, and PETA has not yet attacked me for doing so. (laughs) You know, I think even they have to draw the line somewhere, don't they? That's right. (laughs) Well, the reason I have asked you to join me today is to talk about, and I guess it was back in December they discovered these in the Pacific Northwest, the Asian giant hornet. Right. And it has been referred to in a press in the press with a name that you prefer not to use. That is correct. And would you tell me why you prefer not to use that name? The New York Times dubbed it the murder hornet. <laughs> Sounds and ominous. In my estimation, self-defense is not murder. Asian giant hornets kill only to feed their babies or of course if their life is threatened neither of which constitutes murder. There you go. Manslaughter at worst, right? That's right. (laughs) Well, tell me a little bit about these hornets. I've done a little research. I I am a beekeeper myself. I've been a beekeeper for a couple of years, and their notoriety for preferring honeybees has, I think, got a lot of beekeepers in North America worried that if they spread from Washington and, and British Columbia, that we're all in trouble, as if the honeybees don't have enough problems. Yes, that's a very good point. With all the diseases and pests they're dealing oh, with, yeah. yes. Where do these Asian giant hornets originate, and how do you think they got here? 
Well, they're indigenous to most of Asia, uh, stretching from the very eastern part of Russia on through all of Asia. So they could have come from any of that area. And I think the best guess is that they were accidentally imported, probably on a commercial shipping vessel. It only takes one pregnant female, you know. Mm. <laughs> now, these are, am I, am I correct in this, that they are the largest hornets in the world? That is correct. And they get to about, what, two inches long? That's what they claim. <laughs> and they have a stinger that's about a quarter of an inch long. And my information is that those, their stingers, unlike the honeybee stingers, are not barbed. So they're able to sting multiple times. That is correct. They're not a bee. They're a wasp. And so they're able to sting repeatedly. Whereas the point you make that honeybees have the barbed stinger. stinger so once the stinger gets into the skin, it's ripped out of the abdomen. Yes. They also have these uh, mandibles, like pinchers That's right. almost, that, That's that, right. that, that helps them defeat their quarry and, and then cut it up into little pieces and carry it back. I guess they, do they, do they like eat it up a little bit first and, and, and soften it up, turn it into almost like a, a mulch and then take it back to the hive? They don't have to. They can, as you were describing, just cut it into sections and haul it back to the hive. Yes. What is but it? But also, they use they use those calicery, the, they use those mouth parts to also dig in the ground. So that's one reason they have such robust and strong mouth Man. parts, so that they can chew into the ground and make their underground abode. My understanding is that while they don't necessarily prey on humans, that if humans come into contact with them and they feel threatened, they will sting. That is correct. The New York Times and other media outlets are certainly making hay out of how big this creature is and how much its sting will hurt. But really, that's not the main point. Again, the Asian giant hornet does not want to sting humans. It prefers to ignore us. And again, unless it feels threatened, it will. And as you made the point, the real threat is to U.S. beekeeping. Yeah. They tend to, and again, you, you're you the expert, so you correct me on what I've, I've read just over the past few days. And I, I don't know why it took so long. They found these things in December, and we're just now hearing about it. I guess there were other things at the top of the news cycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As if COVID-19 wasn't enough. Now we have these giant Asian Asian giant hornets to deal with. They, they put a pheromone out, especially if they find like a honeybee colony. One worker hornet will spread some pheromone that attracts others and they kind of swarm and attack with a bunch of them. Is that correct? That is right. And this is one of the more intriguing aspects of this creature. The honeybees in that area, in the Asian area that have co-evolved with the Asian giant hornet had to develop some kind of defense or they'd be eliminated by the Asian giant hornets. Fortunately, these honeybees have a mechanism that they can use. Have you ever thought about how honeybees survive in the frozen wastelands of Canada over the winter? Mm -hmm. Well, they can produce their own heat. You know this, you're a beekeeper. Yes, even cold-blooded insects can generate heat by vibrating their wings and thus generating metabolic heat. They can actually heat up the hive. In fact, they can raise the temperature to 127 degrees Fahrenheit. That's amazing. Uh, simultaneously, this activity also increases the carbon dioxide level so that the Asian giant hornets are anoxic and they die of heat stroke right there in the honeybee hive. <laughs> so fortunately, honeybees have a higher heat tolerance and they can survive a few more degrees up to 122 degrees Fahrenheit. 
So any, and also any honeybee that gets overheated can circulate out of that mass that's surrounding the hornet, cool off, get its breath, so to speak, and then move back into the honeybee mass to contribute its heat to the effort. And eventually that will kill the hornet and the honeybees can then get back to business. How long in your estimation did it take the Japanese honeybees to develop this defense mechanism? No one knows, but it's probably eons, probably thousands or if not hundreds of thousands of years. So can we get some of them over here to train our bees? <laughs> That's an excellent idea. Open up a little honeybee dojo or something so that they can teach <laughs> them that method because we don't have eons. <laughs> that is true. You make a good point, And it very likely may mean that we try to introduce some uh, genetics from those bees into our native hives. I'm sure you've been following that, that we've been trying to breed resistance to varroa mites and yeah. some of the viral diseases and so on. So maybe if we could just um, go ahead and accentuate and accelerate that effort and get some of those Japanese genes into our honeybees, we could skip a few generations. <laughs> that, would, that would be very good. I don't want to lose another hive. <laughs> I- <laughs> Let me ask you, right now, I, th- I, I think there were two different sightings in Washington State and one up in, in uh, British Columbia, and they, they checked DNA, and the, the ones in Washington were not related genetically to the ones in British Columbia. So they think there were at least two instances of the Asian giant hornets entering North America. Is there any chance to either keep them in that area to contain them there or to eliminate them altogether and it, it, or is eliminating them altogether something that's just not a good idea well washington state is making a concerted effort to locate and eliminate any existing colonies of the asian giant hornet the washington state department of agriculture has set up over 400 traps already yeah. and they're recruiting citizens to trap as well they have a specific mixture that is apparently enticing to the female the queen asian hornet giant hornet so they hope to entrap them locate them and dig up and destroy all the nests they can find i think they have a fighting chance at this point because as you make the point they have not found a whole lot of nests yet so hopefully they're getting in on the the very beginning and can eradicate them before they start spreading but this emphasizes for us with all the international trade that there is there's always container ships coming in there's always the potential for introduction What happens if we are not able to contain them? What is the best move that people and particularly beekeepers, but I mean, they affect other animals. Even somebody was telling me they saw a video of them attacking a small mouse. Uh, And I've seen videos of them attacking praying mantises and things like that. What can we do to either prepare or help mitigate the effects that they might have? That is a challenge. Getting back to breeding our bees to be able to cope with them, that's probably one strategy. We can certainly slow down the movement. It's 2,000 miles from here to Washington State, and we should be able to put up some barriers to at least keep them out until you and I give up beekeeping, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if not forever. And hopefully there are some imaginative and creative scientists out there who are coming up with better ideas. Well, let's, let's hope that they uh, are indeed able to contain them. Now, I saw something, I can't remember, it was National Geographic, and I, a lot of this stuff that we see in the media, they, they kind of dumb down the science a little bit for average Joes like me. But they talked about that the queen has to start a new colony 
every year. Is that the case, or, or how many generations does it take for them to get a real foothold? If there are only a couple of colonies in Washington right now, how long before that becomes dozens and hundreds? That's an excellent point. Yes, they only reproduce once a year, so the queens are just now coming out. Of course, Washington State's a little farther north and also cooler, so it has been a delayed emergence. They really don't get going, don't have large colonies until late in the summer. So apparently from August to Thanksgiving seems to be when they thrive out there. And that's when the Washington State um, Department of Ag and others will need to be very active monitoring for them and trying to intercept any new establishments before they get established. Mm. And that's challenging because, again, these are underground nests, so they're not readily apparent. Now, I've heard that they're using like thermal imaging or whatever it is to see like the heat um, Heat signature underground. Yeah. Uh Uh, But but if there's not a lot of them and they're not moving around a lot, I'm wondering how much heat they're actually generating if they're hibernating. That's a good point. They do have to keep warm, though, to keep from freezing Yeah, if they're in a freezing area. But if they're underground, they are insulated. But you got to figure anything with any metabolic activity is going to be slightly warmer than its inert surroundings. So if you've got adequately sensitive equipment, you should be able to detect that. But that takes a lot of time and effort. Oh, sure. There's a lot, a lot of empty spaces up in Washington State where they could be hiding. That's right. A lot of landscape, yes. Well, Dr. Henkel, is there anything else that you think that we ought to know or that may be of interest that I haven't asked you about, about the Asian giant hornets and their potential effect? Well, they're just intriguing creatures. They're one of God's creations, so they have their place in the world as well. I don't mean to be an apologist for this creature, but it has to feed and it has to raise its babies. So it's not all bad. It's just doing what it was created to do. We want to balance things, so we certainly don't want them coming in and eliminating honeybees. But I will remind you that honeybees are an introduced species as well here in North America. That's right. That's right. They are. Fortunately, as you know, the University of Georgia has one of the world's preeminent apiculturists, Dr. Keith Delaplane, and he and his research group, including, you may be familiar with Jennifer Berry. Uh, Most beekeepers in Georgia know her from the Georgia Beekeepers Association, and also she leads the annual Young Harris Beekeeping Institute. Anyway, those folks will be investigating ways to protect our bee colonies here in the southeast from depredation by the Asian giant hornet should it show up in Georgia. Of course, we're hoping it doesn't, but trying to be on the proactive range here, trying to do what we can to keep this pest from damaging Georgia beekeeping. Well, Dr. Hinkle, thank you so much for your time today. It's fascinating. Uh, And and I thank you for all the work you're doing and for taking time out. I understand that you're, even though the kids haven't been in classrooms for, for quite a while at UGA, have they? That is correct. We have been teaching online. And for those of us who, for whom this does not come naturally, it has been challenging. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet my brother and sister are both teachers in the Ohio Valley, and they've been doing all their stuff online. But I understand you're in the middle of finals, so you have papers to grade. I, I so appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for calling, and thank you for interest in these insects. I don't know about you, but I found that a fascinating discussion probably largely due to the fact that I'm a beekeeper and I'm concerned with what these Asian giant hornets could mean for the future of honeybees in North America and in my 
bee yard. So I want to thank Dr. Hinkle and the entomology department at the University of Georgia for being so accommodating. I, I sent the email one day and we did the interview the next day. They were very, And they're in the middle of doing finals, or at least they were when we recorded this particular episode of the podcast. I am also a part of another podcast that is affiliated with the Joy FM Georgia. It's called the Finding Joy podcast. I host that along with two of my co-workers, Rob Langer and Benji Shepard, and that comes out every other Thursday. In the most recent episode, recent to this particular episode of Life with Jerry Williams, we talked with someone that both Rob and I work with on Long Island in radio back in the late 80s through the mid-90s. Her name is Lila McKenzie. She is still on Long Island, New York, has a fascinating story because you realize that New York City and Long Island are kind of the epicenter for at least the eastern part of the United States, if not the entire country, for COVID-19, the coronavirus. Well, Lila has a, a tremendous story of faith and hope and faithfulness, especially as it relates to COVID-19. Her father, in early April, died as a result of contracting COVID-19. And I will put a link to that particular episode of the Finding Joy podcast in the show notes for this podcast. On the latest episode of the Finding Joy podcast, we had a chat with a friend and former co-worker of mine and Rob's, Lila McKenzie. Sadly, Lila lost her dad recently to COVID-19, but through the loss, she's holding on to her faith. All I can think of is how these people who don't know God, I am so blessed to know that I know where my father is today. And my father's having a good old time. <laughs> Check out the latest edition of the Finding Joy podcast under the On Air tab at thejoyfm.com or anywhere you subscribe to find podcasts. Again, thank you so much for listening to Life with Jerry Williams. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. In the show notes, I will have some information for you that Dr. Hinkle provided to me. She thought that people might have additional questions and they might spot some insects that they would like to have identified. If you live in Georgia, you will be able to send either photographs or actual specimens to somebody at the University of Georgia in their identification lab. And I'll have that email address for you, the mailing address if you're trying to send an actual specimen and, and some of the details about that. Also in the show notes, I will have a link to the episode of the Finding Joy podcast with Lila McKenzie as the guest. As always, thank you again for listening. Please do, if your platform allows it, where you get your podcast from, leave a review, a five-star rating would be great. And always, please do subscribe. All of those things help other people find the podcast. We'll be back with another episode Monday, the 18th of May of Life with Jerry Williams.